Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I am your occasional host, Gary Morgan, hoping to make this a little bit more uh, standardized in the future here. And with me, as always, is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Christen. How you doing, brother? It will be more of a standard practice, especially as we get into the season. Don't worry, Gary. I mentioned it last week. We didn't forget you. There was a lot going on, a lot of preseason shifting. Things have changed over at DK Pittsburgh Sports. Things have changed on my end. I know things have changed on your end. So we're getting into a flow now. Now that we're getting to week zero, week one coming up for Pitt versus Wofford, September 2. Once we're in the season, there's going to be a flow to things. And while it may not be every Saturday or every Sunday morning, we're going to try to do our best to not only organize a show on a consistent date throughout the week. We were talking about that before air, but we're going to make sure that we're doing a consistent product. And, um, you know, again, things change, things kind of adjust. We have to adjust. It's an adjustment for everybody and we're going to get there. But, um, you know, good to be back. Good to talk some week zero football, week one football. But Gary, we have to start basketball today. On the two weeks before pit football starts, we have to start basketball today. Yep. We got to start talking because of news that kind of broke yesterday. And I got to be honest, I think blanks are still being filled in. Uh, Dior Johnson was let go from the program. And, and Corey, I think that we knew there were some rumblings that some administrators wanted him out. You know, they weren't comfortable with the resolution that, that the athletics department came to with him after his uh, misdemeanor uh, convictions there for, for what he did, um, which we don't need to rehash. But when, when they went to Spain on this little trip, I personally thought, okay, they've come to a resolution and, and we're good here. And then, you know, Jeff Capel just gave an interview like a week ago talking about how much he'd matured and how, how great he's going to be in that backcourt teaching those young kids. So can you shed any light on this? What happened? This is so tricky to lay out, to explain, to really dive into and in, without reading into the tea leaves, because you mentioned it. Okay. The other day, kind of backtracking. Uh, This is from Jeff Goodman at Stadium. Very credible college athletics reporter, college basketball reporter. You know, he mentioned, he talked to Jeff Capel, and Capel said, Dior's matured, and he's optimistic that he can help, you know, Carlton Carrington, Jalen Lowe, that very young backcourt that Pitt has. And then days later, we get a statement emailed to us at 5.50 p.m. on a Friday. Talk about a news dump. 5.50 p.m. on a Friday, and All the statement says, and this is just me reading into detail, okay? All the statement says, and I quote, Dior Johnson is no longer attending the University of Pittsburgh. End quote. That's it. One sentence, that's the statement. Now, for, I guess, inside baseball terms here, right? In our industry, when we get press releases, when we get statements from the university, when we get this kind of thing, usually there is a quote from the coach of that program or the athletic director or somebody as a representative of that athletic program, whether it's football, men's basketball, women's basketball, soccer, field hockey, whatever it is. Right. Right. It's, I think it's important to note this, and this is kind of what started at least in my like spinning engine 
kind of like connecting the dots web of there's no statement from Jeff Capel. There's no statement from Heather like in that statement that was sent from the University of Pittsburgh. And the statement came from not Pitt Athletics. It came from the University of Pittsburgh. Right. Which leads me to believe, and this is, you know, I don't want to say it's guesswork, but I think it's educated guesswork to an extent. This is a call coming from above Jeff Capel and above Heather Like, right. which means this is a call coming from university administration. And I and would ask a follow-up question to that that I brought up a little bit with you pre-show. We know Heather Like is in the running for some very big and very prestigious jobs. Mm-hmm. She's done great here. She she probably had a difficult time herself seeing past whatever Dior did mm-hmm. as a woman herself. Mm-hmm. And to be overrolled like that and capable overrolled. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I like that. I don't know that I like that look for the university. I don't know if I think that's smart. It's tough. It's a tough situation to play. And I don't want to ignore the obvious here of a new chancellor coming in. I don't want to ignore the obvious of university administration changing hands and how new university administration chose to remove Dior Johnson from the basketball program. If that is truly what has happened here. And again, this is nothing has been confirmed by the university. This is us doing our speculation, doing our reporting, doing our, here's what we think. And here's what we can read into. What I can read into is that there was no comment from Jeff Capel, no comment from Heather, like on a university release statement that said Dior Johnson has gone from the university. That's, that's just reading into details. So from your standpoint, what you're talking about with Heather, like if this is Heather, like getting overruled, if this is Heather, like, and Jeff Capel getting overruled by university administration, then yes, I would feel a little bit slighted if I'm Heather like, and I'm not going to say, you know, Heather likes going to use this as fuel to go take another job because there is a very, very top, I would say two or three job in the country that is opening up next year and in 2024 at the Ohio state university that she is going to be a candidate for. I, I can tell you that with confidence, Heather like will be a candidate for that job based on a lot of other things, but also based on the widespread success that the University of Pittsburgh has had under her leadership. Right. So for the chancellor or university administration or whoever it was to go over Pitt Athletics' head, to go over Jeff Cable's head, to go over Heather White's head, to do this, it's, it's a move that they felt was necessary to do. It's, it's multifaceted. It's a move they felt was necessary to do. It's a move that, yes, does go over that trusted AD's head. And it's a move that will have an impact on this basketball program just from a basketball standpoint. It's a starting point guard. It's a former four-star recruit. It's the highest rated recruit Jeff Capel's pulled into this program in his tenure. It's a guy that was the focal point of that backcourt for this season and for seasons to come. So this was this couldn't have been a rash move. It couldn't have been. This couldn't have been a gut check move. This had to be a move that was discussed, that was calculated, that was discovered, that was mulled upon. Maybe it was a move that was also coming out of a bit of passion, too. We we don't know that detail. We don't know where the move came out. of. We just know that the move happened and that Dior Johnson is no longer at, not just with the basketball program, 
I want to take the literal statement. He is no longer at the University of Pittsburgh. He got kicked out of the school, not the basketball program, the school. Right. And I understand all that. And and I'm sure that details are going to trickle out. And I'm sure you're going to bulldog information out of this. And we'll talk about it again as we get more information. But um, I will say something like this happening two, three years ago to the pit program. You're probably really, really, really down on the pit basketball program. Right now, where they are, I'm not sure it's as big a hit as it would have been. So, mm-hmm. in many ways, okay, good. They're, they've kind of like gotten themselves to a better spot. But man, it's still tough to just take in something like that, especially once they went to Spain again. I, I, mm-hmm. I kind of thought the story was over. So, again, is no longer attending the University of Pittsburgh. That's the important thing to take away from this. That's what the statement says yeah. is no longer attending. It doesn't say. He has been removed from the basketball program. It doesn't say he has been removed from the university. It doesn't say he chose to leave the university or he chose to leave the basketball program. It just says he is no longer attending. So we can only speculate from that point. And from a basketball standpoint, look, we thought Jeff Capel was finally going to have a normal offseason. Guess not. Like he hasn't had a normal offseason since he's been the coach here for whatever reason it's been. And now he loses his starting point guard in late August and has to usher in either Carlton Carrington, Jalen Lowe, or Ish Leggett as the, as the main ball handler. And, of course, as basketball season approaches, we'll talk more about you know schematic and design and rotations and whatnot. But you just lost the starting point guard. You lost, like, the floor, the floor general, they call it. You, know, you lost a main major piece of a team that just went to an NCAA tournament that just had its best season since 2016, that just had its best season under the ACC Coach of the Year. So this is going to have long-standing impact on the basketball program and long-standing impact potentially on this athletic department if there's something to unfold here between the relationship between university administration and Heather Light. Yeah, hey, let's take a quick break and let's come back. Let's talk, uh, hopefully, brighter note, a little bit of pet, pet football. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Corey and Gary with you, and it's time to talk a little bit of pit football. So, Corey, you know early on I was pretty pessimistic about uh, the new quarterback. (laughs) And I really didn't like the receiving core. But since, I think Bub Means has really shown that he's a different player so far in camp. And... Reports are pretty good about the quarterback situation as well. So what have you seen personally and what do you like? 
The thing that Pat Narduzzi has preached about Phil Dracovic through these first few weeks of training camp, and as we sit here today, two weeks until the start of the regular season, is consistency. Phil Dracovic isn't giving up the football. Phil Dracovic isn't causing messy turnovers. Phil Dracovic isn't allowing the defense to get anything easy off of him. Pat Narduzzi said Phil Dracovic is completing a very high number of his passes. I believe the completion percentage was somewhere around 70%. And that's outstanding if true. Now, whether that number is inflated or not, Pat Narduzzi could say he's completed 10% of his passes if he wanted to, but he's not going to do that. Um, My biggest concern, and I've said this since March, whenever we started talking pit football, my biggest concern with this team is the depth at wide receiver. My biggest concern with this offense is the depth at wide receiver because when you lose a 1,000-yard receiver in Jared Wayne, that's hard enough. When you lose a guy like Jared Wayne but also had a relatively mediocre passing game last year, that's even more compounding. So this year, Phil Dracovic is being you know, brought in as the starting quarterback, and his track record is he's not been healthy throughout his career. When he's been healthy, he's been good, not great, good. Right. Not great. So the expectation now is that he's supposed to come back in, relearn the Signetti offense, get acclimated. That's all fine and dandy. But they're still looking at game tape, looking at game results from last year of Bub Means and Kanate Mumfield. And my concern with the offense is having those guys perform consistently on a game-to-game basis. I will say Bub Means came along pretty well at the end of last year. He was trending up at the end of last year, had a good Sun Bowl, had a good offseason, got in with Phil. Same thing with Kanate Mumfield, like started to figure it out, you can see towards the end of the year. So you can hope and provide optimism that they're going to come in this year with that similar mindset with all of those lessons learned. But if this offense, this offense can't do what it did last year. This offense can't produce the ACC leading rusher like it did last year. It's just not going to. I would love to see Rodney Hammond lead the ACC in rushing, but I don't think it's going to happen. Not because he's not talented enough, but because Frank Signetti is going to open that playbook for Phil Dracovic. Frank Signetti is going to open that playbook for the wide receivers and for you know uh, Gavin Bartholomew at tight end and for a couple of very young, exciting freshmen that are coming up. So this is going to be a different complexion to the pin offense this year. And the fact that the reports that are coming out of the South side and that are coming from Pat Narduzzi are that Phil Dracovic has been consistent and consistently good in practice. That's a good sign going into week one against an FCS opponent. How does it develop over the first three weeks of the season leading into West Virginia? And then you're right on, you're right on the fire. You're right on the coals in ACC play opener against North Carolina when Drake May comes to town. Right. I mean, and, and even Cincinnati and West Virginia aren't pushovers either as far as uh, maybe an untested offense. I think mm-hmm. the defense is, ste- is setting up to probably be a pretty strong unit again this year. I know it's younger, but I really like a lot, a lot of the, the players. Kamara especially, I'm really excited about. There's a lot of very good young depth on defense. And if you've been paying attention and reading up on recruiting the last few years and development of this team for the last few years, this is what Pat Narduzzi and Randy Bates have expected out of this defense. You know, the predecessors, the Kalaja Kansies, the Servassier Dennis's, the Brandon Hills, the Eric Hallett's, they set the table, the, the DeMar Hamlins, the Dane Jacks, I can keep going back. They set the table for this next group of pit defenders to come up. 
I love the I love the cornerbacks. I love Marquez Williams. I love MJ Devonshire cornerback. I think MJ Devonshire could be the MVP of this defense because he's so athletic and gifted. But now you have two young safeties and PJ O'Brien and Javon McIntyre set to take over that they feel really good about. PJ O'Brien was probably the MVP of the spring game, and Javon McIntyre what he did at Miami with the interception, and he had a really good Sun Bowl to follow it. So there's a lot of optimism with the young depth, but you can't replace the Kalijah Kansi, and you can't replace the Servasier Dennis. Not Dennis from the standpoint of skill, but from the standpoint of how smart he was, how he was the yeah. green dot, how he was able to... I, I, I've talked to people that have said this about him. He has the ability to feel out where all the other men around the field on the field are around him. He knows where everybody should be, where everybody's supposed to be, where everybody is. He has a really good gift in that. That's hard to replace. So for this linebacking core, like you mentioned, a Bengali Kamara, who's expected to take a leap, not a step, a leap this year because of how athletic and strong and just fast he is. And then you have a Shane Simon who's experienced at the backer position. Brandon George who's experienced at the backer position. You would, you would think that those two with the experience and Kamara with the athleticism would be able to take over and to be able to produce in that manner. The defensive line with, the, with Dayon Hayes, I expect big things out of him. I like the veterans coming back up the middle. David Green's a captain. Devin Danielson, obviously a hometown kid. So they have talent. They have depth on the defense. It's just a matter of they have to replace four really good star players that made their way to the NFL. And I would say in the secondary, they have no room for error. An injury in the secondary, I think, would destroy this defense. They have, they're have four strong. They really are. I like both safeties. I like both corners. I, I'm a little bit shaky when they go to like nickel and dime looks, which they don't do often at Pitt. They, they're a man team, so you know I get it, but if there's an injury back there, especially to Devonshire or Marquez Williams, they're in a lot of trouble. I don't know about a lot of trouble because I like A.J. Woods a lot as a third corner or as, you know, the nickel, whoever's playing inside the nickel slot. I like A.J. Woods there, but beyond that, I would be a little more concerned. And having A.J. Woods as the third corner is going to be able to give that defense a lot more looks. You could bring A.J. Woods on a blitz. You could bring Marquez Williams on a blitz. You could throw M.J. Devonshire in the slot, and he can, he can go run with the team's fastest wide receiver because he's that fast. He can keep up with it. So I would say the corner situation almost feels like the wide receiver situation where, but I think it's a little bit of a better situation because it's top heavy and it's very strong at the top with Devin, with Devonshire and with Williams. Woods is a good cornerback. I don't want to undermine that. But then beyond that is where you start to get a little bit concerned about where's the depth who's going to be able to fly in and whatnot. So, look, as long as 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 I I can stay intact, I think they'll be okay. I like Woods, too, but I don't see him as an outside cornerback. Um, I don't think I don't see him as being able to move to the outside and be just as successful as he would in the slot. I think that's why I I struggle with with counting him in that outside depth, even though I know that's what he would be. Mm -hmm. But all in all, I think it's a young team probably going to be struggling for their place in in the world I think this year in the ACC. There's a lot of good teams in the ACC this year and I mean who knows what the ACC will look like next year Corey so how the, how the heck do you plan? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of who could join, who wants to join, who's going to join, all that stuff. Um for you Gary, 
Pitt's over under set at six and a half. I have him at eight. I've been eight and four this year. When you look at the schedule, when you look at the, the opponents, when you look at the flow of the season, what do you envision Pitt's not just record, but like their overall outlook could be this year? Because they were picked relatively, I guess, low to finish I think in the ACC. They're a bowl team. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to Vegas it, I'd go seven and a half uh, for an over under. I, I, when you look at the schedule, there's just some games I just don't see them having much of a shot in. If Florida State is close to what people are projecting them to be, that's an unwinnable game for Pitt, if you ask me. Um, North Carolina, I think, is a bad matchup for them on top of being a good team. They just do things that I don't think Pitt will stop well. It's West Virginia. Who knows? Who knows what West Virginia is? They're in the same boat as Pitt. Mm-hmm. They're kind of a team that they're decent. They have some talent. They could win eight games. They could win 10 games. They could win five, you know? Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen in that matchup. Virginia Tech is one of those teams that I think they're well coached. And, and just because of that, you could wind up seeing them steal some wins here and there from teams they shouldn't beat. So I wouldn't be comfortable going into that matchup. And Wake Forest does a good job finding quarterbacks, you know, people that you've never heard of that wind up being okay. So I don't know. It's so hard to look at the beginning of a college football season because it's not like the NFL where you've got just a laundry list of teams that look very similar to what they did last year. And you've seen the big free agents they went out and got. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. This is like people transferring guys from Toledo. No offense to you, Corey. And I got the perfect. I got the mud hens hat on too. You see (laughs) that? That's what made me think of it, brother. But like, shout out to Jamie Farr, shout out to Mash. Great show. There you go. But like these, you know, the smaller schools, the division two A's that they, they transfer up players all the time that, they're, they're more talented than people know, and you've never heard of them. Hey, Bub Means and Kanata Mumfield, right? Mm-hmm. So it's so hard to look at the schedule and just go, yeah, this win, this win, this win. If I'm saying if prognosticators are right, I think they're a bowl team. They're probably a seven or eight win club. The, the important thing I think Pitt needs to have is a flow to it. You know, last year there were a lot of moments where, of course, once Keen Slovis went down with his concussion against Tennessee – there was a lot of stop and go to the season and the momentum and the flow yeah. of, of at least the offense. And they of course had to lean on Israel of Anaconda, you know, look at the Virginia tech game as an example. And by the way, Pitts at Virginia tech this year, which is not a game you want to go play on the road in. Like if Israel of Anaconda doesn't go for Tony Dorsett's record yards and six touchdowns, how much does Pitt win that game by? Cause they won the game pretty handily. But if he goes for just a regular day, right, like in a regular Izzy day is not like any other running back's day. Like if he goes for an Izzy day of 100, 110 yards and two touchdowns, how different is that football game? Right. They're not going to be able to win that football game just like they did last year. They're not going to be able to let a running back. They're not going to be able to let Rodney Hammond or Derek Davis or Sebo Flemister run that much. They're going to have to win football games in different ways, at least from an offensive standpoint. Bill Dracovic's going to have to throw for some pretty insane touchdowns. He's going to have to make plays with his arm. And then these receivers are going to have to make plays and maybe make a couple tough contested catches. You know, maybe some of these games come down the walk to the wire more so than most. 
you know, look at the Louisville game, look at the Duke game, look at I, I say Virginia Tech's not a cakewalk, no matter where that program is. You're playing at you're playing in Blacksburg, that's a tough football game. Yeah. Hey, let's take another quick break, Corey, because we have to, and you have a hard stop today, so We're back to the HTP podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. And Corey, where I want to kind of wrap up this conversation about pit football for this week is really the running back room. Because you're right, the running back position and the way that Pitt has been able to run the football, it's not only key to Signetti's offense, it's key to the way Pat Narduzzi wants to play defense. He has to keep those guys fresh, and we already talked about the depth. So you can't run them ragged, right? You know, you want to be able to substitute, and you want to be able to keep them off the field a little bit, and that takes a running game. We know Hampton is a good back, but we also know he's got injury history. He, he does struggle to stay on the field a little bit. Sebo Flabister, they didn't really let run much last year, but I would say he's probably the most capable of taking over and just being the feature back if they had to go that route. Mm -hmm. What do you think, man? I mean, you've been watching them closer than me. The thing with Rodney Hammond is I don't think he can take on an Izzy workload this year. I don't, I'm not sold on him taking that number of carries that significant amount of just mileage this season. I don't think it's there quite yet. And I don't think the offense is going to be totally, I guess, tailored for that style of football to be run again this year, like it was last year with Izzy. And some of that is what I mentioned before about how Phil Dracovic has, you know, to throw the ball and has to win the game by throwing the ball in a lot of instances. And the point you bring up about the defense, I think is fascinating because at the uh, Pitt football kickoff luncheon, this is on Friday, you know, Lewis Riddick, ESPN personality, Pitt grad, you know, he was asked essentially about Pat Narduzzi and the perception around Pat Narduzzi. And he said, Pat's a coach for me. He's for me. He's for Pitt. And one of the points he brought up was about how he challenges this defense, his defense, to be on an island, to do tougher things, to take on harder assignments. Like the fact that this defense is so challenged from scheme alone and from style and from the coach alone, I think that speaks volumes to what that synergy you talked about and how it worked out at least last year. Now, Phil Dracovic's not going to be Kenny Pickett. So they're just not going to win games that way, right? Where Kenny can just kind of brute force past the team and, and right. they can just win a football game. Like they're not going to be able to brute force, at least from an offensive standpoint. So where does the synergy come into play? between that defense that creates a lot of turnovers, that gets off the field quickly, that is really just like strong up front and knows how to bully people and wear the opposing offense down versus Pitt's offense, which might be a little more aired out this year than it was last year and in years past. So does that blend work this year? Does that synergy work this year? And when it comes back to the running back room, and I want to circle all of that back, to Rodney Hammond and Sebo Flemister and Derek Davis, 
to where I would say that having a committee approach this year is going to be the best benefit for this offense. I think Rodney Hammond taking the bulk of the workload is going to benefit not just Rodney Hammond, but it's going to benefit Pitt. Then you have Sebo Flemister as more of your change of pace, is able to go out and catch passes. Derek Davis, I like as someone as a third down back almost, and like almost like a goal line back. I like the versatility that's in this room. I like the different styles that come within this room where Hammond brings power, Sebo brings speed, Derek Davis brings a bit of both. I like the makeup of this room. And I think that going to going to all three of them in situations and leaning on Rodney Hammond for most of the workload is going to be the best solution to make all of that work. And I would think like from a ball control standpoint, one thing you could do that we didn't see in the past really was you could utilize the tight ends a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can get those little 10, 10 yard crossers over the middle to Bartholomew or, or even like little curl routes out in the flats for seven or eight yards, then you have a de facto running ball control offense. And I think it, it plays a little bit better. So I'm interested to see that evolution. Mm-hmm. You and I all last season were curious as to why they weren't using the tight ends. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've asked why, but <laughs> <We've> loved, <laughs> this year I hope well. we see it because if we don't, I, I think first it's a wasted resource. I think Bartholomew is one of their better offensive resources and I'd like to see them use it. Mm-hmm. But and, Car- and Carter Johnson's in better shape. Malcolm X is a really nice get from, from USC, really nice red zone weapon. I think he could be. So I would hope the tight ends are used more this year um, just because now they have actual depth in the room. Like Gavin's another year older. Carter's another year older. He's finally like fully integrated as a tight end now instead of being a converted defensive lineman. And then Epps just brings a, a raw like body that could just bowl into the end zone if you need, need him to or like get yardage or whatever it needs to be. So they have a good room there. I'm excited about that tight ends room now, how it's going to be used in this offense to be determined. Well, bold prediction time, Corey. Pitt's going to beat Wofford. Let's just go ahead and put that out there. Very bold of you. Very bold of you to say. (laughs) Very bold of you to say. Pat Narduzzi press conference on Monday. We're getting into it. We're going to get back into it. Good show today, Gary. Glad we got to get back together. And uh, we will iron out, for those listening, uh, the details of future shows, dates, etc. We'll get there. So. It's football season, but we did start the show with basketball. So sometimes it calls for it. Sometimes it calls for it. It's okay. And who knows? Maybe we'll have to again. Never but, know. Never hey, know. We end the show the same way every time we do. H2P.